I was a what's it, what they would call it nowadays. We call it an intrapreneur, right? So I had and I, I had entrepreneurial abilities and capabilities and opportunities within the confines of a growing organization which a lot of firms are highlighting that as being a value add to young people, especially that are coming up, graduating from school, and they want to start their own business, but maybe maybe this is not the right time for them to do that, but they still have those entrepreneurial tendencies. A company that allows and affords that entrepreneurial growth to happen can really benefit from these young people that are really bright and intelligent. And so the firm that I worked with had that response. And that resonated with me as an entrepreneur. So that I felt like even though this technically wasn't my company, I was an owner and I was given carte blanche to do the things that I felt necessary to do in order to be successful. And I think that's important. Welcome. I am your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between effective leadership and authenticity. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to become a better leader by being your true self, you're in the right place. In our last episode, we talked to Deb Spar, a professor and a senior associate dean at Harvard Business School. Deb is very well known for her research and books on the intersection between technology and gender and the impact on society. And one of that book is her latest book, Work, Mate, Marry, Love, How Machines Shape Our Human Destiny. In our conversation, Deb shared some of key insights from her research. And we also talked about her experience going from professor and academic to president of Barnard College and how she used what she learned by teaching the case method to shape her experience as a leader. Our guest today takes us on a different journey. I met Randy Wilburn this past August at the Podcast Movement Conference. He was a featured speaker on a panel. Right now, Randy is a consultant and trainer at his firm Encourage, Build, Grow, where he gave himself the title of Chief Encourager, which will give you an idea of the type of person he is. He's also the host and producer of I Am Northwest Arkansas, a very cool podcast about a special little corner in Arkansas. At heart, Randy's an entrepreneur, and our conversation is rich with the story of his journey, but is also full of advice on how to tackle work as an entrepreneur, even when you're working for others. He's also big on giving back and keeping an open mind. When I met Randy, I felt an instant connection. Our stories are different, but they're also similar in a very important way. Randy is at a point in his life and career where he has chosen to bring together his passion and his professional experience and not limit himself to just one area. He is a specialist in multiple disciplines that to the outside world may not go together in an intuitive way. And it is because of this connection I felt that I decided to tap into his experience as a host and interviewer and try an experiment. So. This is another double episode. In part one, what you're listening to right now, I am interviewing Randy. In part two, he will interview me. So here is me interviewing Randy. Randy, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. And why don't we start and give our listeners your background? You know, tell me your story. I know you're an entrepreneur. You've gone through a number of different transformations. So let's start from there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm a 15-year-old African-American male that resides in Fayetteville, Arkansas. 
So I'm in the center of the world, both geographically and literally. I'm being funny, but no, Northwest Arkansas here is, uh, this is kind of the area where Walmart is based. And that's actually technically in Bentonville, but Fayetteville is, is the city where the University of Arkansas is based. So I've been here seven years now with my wife and three kids. And so it's been quite an experience. And yes, I have been an entrepreneur Almost all of my life, Dino, to be honest with you, I was that kid that was delivering papers at 10. I was I had to get permission from my mom to deliver the newspaper, the Bergen Record, for those of you that are familiar with New Jersey. Very familiar. Yeah, I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey, so I'm an East Coaster at heart, true and true, through and through. And um, so I, I definitely understand hard work and hustle, if you will. And I started early. I started uh, a paper route. Then it it morphed into a landscaping business that morphed into a lot of other things that I did for for clients in my neighborhood up until the time that I graduated high school and moved to Howard University. And then at Howard, I cut my teeth on doing t-shirts and then some other entrepreneurial pursuits. I also waited tables, which I honestly think quietly, it's the one thing that I think is a, is a great equalizer for people in terms of serving other people and operating from that perspective. And so I learned early on, I was waiting tables even in, in high school and serving alcohol where, where and when, when I wasn't even legal to drink alcohol, I don't know how that happened. But back in the day, you and I are old enough to know that things were done a little differently back then. And you're from Italy. So I know for a fact that serving alcohol in Italy is, is a whole different thing than the way it is done here. So. Well, we didn't have any alcohol regulation. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. So You could buy your own beer at 15. Yeah, there you go. All right. So yeah, and I'm sure people listening just like, wow, I missed out not uh, not spending some time in Europe. Um, but uh, I digress. It was, you know, for me, it was just something that I always understood how to get out and hustle and do some things. I, I also, you know, fully embraced working for other people, right? I mean, it's, you know, I think of about being an entrepreneur, a lot of it is, you know, your dream to do something to to do something with these two hands or well, with your mind really, and then, you know, telling your mind your mind telling your body what to do actually to be able to go out and make a difference in the lives of other people uh, through a service or a product that you're creating or something along those lines. But I think, you know, we all technically have that ability. It's just whether or not we we like the discomfort that comes with being an entrepreneur, which is a real challenge. It's interesting what you're talking about, like, you know, being entrepreneurial from when you were in school and all that. And then you graduated from college, took your first job. And then there was a point, I believe, when you started your own firm for the first time. And, and that's probably a different perspective when you're doing that after having been in the workplace and deciding, OK, no, now I want to go on my own. Tell me about that moment. Yeah. You know, and I think for me, I mean, I did have some traditional jobs and I'm using air quotes here, but when I left Howard University and graduated and moved to the Bay Area in 91, early 92, I actually, one of my goals was to start a business. And I did, I started a, a travel agency, a corporate travel agency, which I ran for several years and then ultimately sold. And that was a unique experience. That was all pre all of these different online ways that people can book their travel, travelocity and all that good stuff. Back in the day, you actually would call someone to book your travel for you. So it was a lot different. And I, I really embraced that. I embraced more of the relationship factor of building relationships with people, with clients that had needs from a travel perspective. And I learned a lot about the industry. I just loved to travel, Dino. I traveled early on. My stepmom was a flight attendant with TWA. So I was very blessed at an early age to just jump over to Rome, to go to Milan, to go to 
um, Paris to, you know, to fly to Frankfurt and experience things that most kids my age at that time couldn't experience. And so I recognized that it was a big world, that there were a lot of opportunities. And so travel became the first place where I really got bit by the entrepreneurial bug. And, and I, 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 it, I let it run its course. And, uh, and then ultimately I came back to the East coast from the West coast. And with the idea that I was going to go back and get my uh, MBA, that never happened. You know, I continued to want to exercise that entrepreneurial bug that I had. I did take formal jobs. I used to work at ABC news as a production assistant. Uh, I worked with nightline and, and, uh, world news tonight and did all kinds of fun stuff with that. And then I finally got into consulting and I worked for another firm but it was a very entrepreneurial firm. And, and I say that because it was the kind of firm where when they hired me to work there, they basically said, hey, the sky's the limit. You have ideas, whatever those ideas are, bring them here. We will incorporate them into what we're doing. And there is no ceiling for you. And I really felt that way so much so that within 14 months of joining that company, I became an owner. So my mindset was a lot different than others because I actually had some skin in the game. And I had ownership in this company that was a growing, well, well-respected, well-regarded management consulting firm for the design industry. And, and it was the best way to describe it. It would be like the Anderson Consulting of the design space. So it helped engineers and architects run their businesses more efficiently in all areas, mergers and acquisitions, management consulting, you name it. So I got a chance to really cut my teeth at a young age. I think I was 27 when I got hired there. It just went on from there. So it was um, it was quite an experience to say the least. And so I was a, what they would call it nowadays, we call it an intrapreneur. I had entrepreneurial abilities and capabilities and opportunities within the confines of a growing organization which a lot of firms are highlighting that as being a value add to young people, especially that are coming up, graduating from school, and they want to start their own business, but maybe maybe this is not the right time for them to do that, but they still have those entrepreneurial tendencies, a company that allows and affords that entrepreneurial growth to happen can really benefit from these young people that are really bright and intelligent. And so the firm that I worked with, had that response and that resonated with me as an entrepreneur so that I felt like even though this technically wasn't my company, I was an owner and I was given carte blanche to do the things that I felt necessary to do in order to be successful. And I think that's important. Yeah. And in that environment, you know, at this stage, you've, you've grown within the company pretty quickly. You're an owner, so you have a leadership role. I'm wondering, when did you start thinking about who you wanted to be as a leader when going from like sort of like the entrepreneur who's hustling and doing your own, you know, your own work. And then now you're a member of a leadership team, I assume, of the firm. And, and sort of that is a different perspective. Yeah, it, it really, uh, it was a different perspective for me. And I think the big thing that I focused on was a being a man of my word. I thought character counts more than anything else. And so that, that more than anything really was one of my driving forces. So I, I focused heavily on that. I focused on the fact that I was afforded the opportunity to work with a lot of people that I legitimately liked working with. Unfortunately, a lot of times people uh, in leadership capacity, you're in, you're in positions and situations where maybe you don't like some of the people that you work with. And that, that can be a challenge. I do think a lot of that is born out of it, it leaders, indiv- uh, leaders, 
that are not able to fully listen and have empathy and, and or practice empathy with those that they work with. And they take the mindset that it's my way or the highway. So because of that, they never allow real bonds to, to form in the workplace that build up the types of coalitions that you need to be successful from a communication standpoint, to be successful from a, a relationship standpoint. And that's, you know, and even in that, it, within that vein, I have made mistakes in that area and I continue to grow and I continue to learn and evolve. I think a lot of people get the moniker of a leader and then they take it and run with it, but they don't necessarily have the, the backing in terms of their internal fortitude to really be a leader. They just have it in name only. And that's a challenge I think that a lot of people struggle with. What were some of the moments when you started formulating, this is who I am as a leader, I am in this position, and these are like the key three or four things that I'm going to try and do and communicate, as you said, to, to generate that internal backing and that internal fortitude as a leader? You know, I think it was, um, I had gone to Texas to meet with a client, very big company at the time. They were continuing to grow. And I met with the founder of, well, he wasn't the founder. He was the CEO of that company at the time. Very dynamic individual, well-dressed. And he said something to me in a meeting where, you know, he basically intimated that if I say it, meaning that if I bring some knowledge to the table that it's important for him to adhere to and to listen to and to encourage the other mem members of his leadership team, as well as his employees to listen to, then he's going to take me seriously. And when this guy who, you know, I mean, built a multi-million dollar company, hugely successful, when he said that to me, it really emboldened me and helped me to realize what my role was within, not just within the company, but also how I interacted with clients. And so I learned very quickly, A, that my word was my bond. If I made a promise about delivering something that I was going to do it and execute, execute, execute. And if I did come up short, I was going to own up to it and be willing to take whatever lumps I would have to take. And I learned also to manage expectations, manage both the expectations of the client as well as managing the expectations of the people that were on my team, because we all had a job to do and we all had an ultimate goal that we, we were trying to achieve with that particular client. Right. It's interesting. Something that I really liked that you just said that you were to manage the expectation, both of your client and your team, you know, in the front client facing role, sometimes you have to take a role that your interest is sort of the last, right? It comes in the pyramid after your client and your team. You have to advocate on behalf of your team in front of your client and advocating for the client in front of your team. Yeah, absolutely. And on top of all that, you've got to, I think, I, I'm, I'm a big proponent of servant leadership. So I, I do believe in leading from behind. That was something that I developed over time. Like I said, I'm 52. So I didn't come out of the gate thinking that. I came out of the gate thinking, oh, well, you give me this title, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to operate as if that's who I am. But I slowly began to unwind that and then look at leadership as being, you know, it's more than just a title and it's more than just my ability to be acknowledged by my peers. I think it's important for me to be developing other people to be the best version of themselves. And so I got to a place, I would say maybe 10 or 12 years ago, where when I did leadership training, I would tell people, I would tell leaders that, listen, your job as a leader is to work yourself out of a job. Not that you're going to get fired. Nobody's firing anybody, but 
because you are creating opportunities for other people to step in and do the things that you're doing so that then you can rise up and move to a whole different level. And hopefully you're within the context or confines of an organization that is growing, that creates new opportunities so that you can step up out of that maybe 15,000 foot view and go to a 20 or 25,000 foot view because the people under you are being elevated by you and by not just your words, but by your actions and your deeds, which continue to encourage them to be the best version of themselves. That was a lesson that took me years to learn. But once I learned it, it was game over. Was there any leader that you worked with that did that for you? Yeah, absolutely. Mark Zweig, and this was the guy that actually founded the company that I, I joined back in 1997. It's now called Zweig Group. It was originally called Zweig White and Associates. And Mark just had the ability, he had an uncanny ability to deliver what the client needed. And, you know, he was just a man of his word. I never knew Mark, and, and we're still good friends to this day, 24 years later. I never knew Mark to be somebody that would talk out of both sides of his mouth. He always set the standard for work, for hard work, and he was forgiving too, right? Because he recognized that, you know, people had lives to lead and people make mistakes. And he wasn't so exacting as a leader that it was unbearable to work with him. So I'm really thankful. I mean, he's legitimately a dear friend, like a dear friend. And that was born out of him being my boss. And then others within that organization that I also had that type of relationship with. But yeah, we've been friends for years. And I mean, I count him as a confidant now. And, and we talk on a daily basis, even though we don't technically work together. And I respected his ability. I mean, he took two different companies to the Inc. 500 5000 five times. So this guy knew what he was doing and he was hugely successful. So I gravitated towards him. And I've always lived by and learned that moniker that. If you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a different room. So I have always tried to be the dumbest guy in the room so that I could pick up as much knowledge and information. And I'm, I'm being funny about being dumb, but I've always tried to hang around with people that are going to help me elevate myself and my thinking. And I think everybody should be doing that. If you are just getting by and, and the people that you have relationships with are just so-so, you got to step up your game because life's too short to be sitting around when you're 70 or 80 talking about, oh, I wish I had done this or I wish I had done that. I'm trying to live with no regrets. And I even, I try to operate with that mindset in the workplace as well. And I think a lot of times we compartmentalize that and we say, oh, well, you know, what I do outside of work is that's one thing. And then what I do inside of work, that's a whole nother thing. And I'm like, I can't separate myself that way. What you see when you work with me, like work, work is what you'll see if you see me hanging out, drinking a, a glass of Merlot on a Saturday night. And I just think that's important to continue to develop and build those relationships with people that you encounter and work with. And it's one of the reasons why I reach out to clients and just shoot the stuff with them on a regular basis just to be talking, not about business, not about what can you do for me or can you sign this new contract or what's the next RFP that you want us to consider? No, I mean, I just genuinely want to get to know people. And I think it's a, it's a refreshing approach that unfortunately not everybody takes because a lot of people operate, even leaders operate with a transactional mindset as opposed to a relational one. I want to go back. You mentioned something. You don't want to be 70 or 80 year old and think like, oh, I've been living with the regrets. How do you measure success? And has that definition changed over time? 
It has for me. Originally, it was about money. It was about wealth and all the extra trappings that come with that. But Dino, as far as I'm concerned, you can't take any of that with you. None of that matters. But what you can, what does matter is building a lasting legacy. And it's not to say that you aren't going to make mistakes along the way. Let me be very clear. I am not perfect. I am a a fallible individual, as are you and as as is anyone listening to this. But we can always strive to be the best version of ourselves. And my encouragement to people listening to this is simply that you have to decide what is right for you. And I ultimately decided that what was going to be right for me is leaving a legacy in my three boys, Joshua, Nathan, and Aiden, a legacy in the relationship that I have with my wife, because I think that that is significant. And so I want to leave the world a better place from my little corner of the world in terms of how I operate with my family, with my friends. And I want people walking away feeling like, man, I just, it was just always great being around this person because, you know, he was never negative and he was never, you know, he was always uplifting. He was always encouraging. That's honestly one of the reasons why I gave the name Encourage, Build, Grow to my company, because I kind of thought about what do I want to be remembered for? And that was the simple thing. So 70, 80 years old and having regrets because you just didn't live life to the fullest and you didn't maximize your abilities, which we all have, I think it's never too late. So even if you're listening to this and you're 60 and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, this dude's giving me a headache because he's reading my writing on the wall, yet I don't know what to do next. And I think the reality is, is that the first thing you do is recognize where you are at this moment and figure out where you want to be down the road and start going towards that destination and not away from it. And the easiest way to do that is to set some goals for yourself and to start just becoming more aware of what your shortcomings are. And that's, you know, that's the thing that a lot of us aren't willing to have those conversations, Dino. If we were like really tight, like, you know, I would say to you, hey, Dino, what do you think are my shortcomings? What's my blind side? How can I improve upon that? And I think these are the questions that we don't ask enough. And I have people that I have relationships with where I can go to them and I say, hey, no BS. What do you think? How am I handling this? How did I handle that? So on and so forth. And so I think obviously I have that comp- that relationship with my wife and we can call each other to the carpet all the time. But you also within the dynamics of a business relationship, within the dynamics of a business community or, or a company, you need to be able to have those types of relationships with people so that somebody can keep you in check and that you can always have a safe space where you can check in with somebody if you don't feel like you're, you know, you're being the best version of yourself. That's a great point, and I think a point that a lot of people are scared to deal with. You mentioned the need to ask yourself what you need to do better and that you're fallible. Is there a moment of crisis or something that went wrong that you think of as a point where you actually got a lot of learning? Yeah, it didn't happen too long ago. I worked with a a young lady, and even to this day, I just feel like I could have done a better job you know, we had to let her go and we let a few other people go. And I just felt like I could have done a better job in engaging with her across the board. And I never really took time to understand where she was coming from. And she probably still hates me to this day. You know, and again, like I said, I don't have, I wish I had a a hunky dory story for every situation, but I don't in this case. And I just felt like I could have done things differently. And I I learned a lot from that. And I, I still carry that with me. Of course, I don't dwell on it, but I still carry it with me as an area where I didn't have empathy 
for her position and her situation. I didn't understand where she was coming from. And a lot of it was predicated upon me just not really actively listening to her and understanding her place and understanding how she felt. You know, I, I learned a long time ago, I can't tell you how you feel about something. That's for you to process, right? But I can listen and I can have you share to me, even if I feel like, oh, well, Dino, you're being too sensitive about this. That's really not for me to say, right? Because how you process things and how you deal with things, that's that's how you deal with it and how I deal with it are going to be different. And so it has taken time. It has taken a bunch of Brene Brown books. <laughs> to help me understand empathy and to to kind of get out of my own way and be willing to meet people where they are, sometimes in a very stressful and a very uncomfortable place and have those conversations, conversations that, you know, a few years ago, maybe seven, eight years ago, I, I may not have had. Now I'm happy to have them. And I have found, I found them to be cathartic. And I encourage people quite a bit to have these conversations and to be open and to be that type of leader where people feel comfortable opening their mouths with you. When you talk to people and they say, well, what's the one number one problem with the person that you work with that you, re you report to is that, oh, well, they don't listen to me. Bob doesn't listen to me. Sue doesn't listen to me. And this is a male female thing. It's not, you know, one species does not have it locked up versus the other one, one sex. I mean, it doesn't matter as far as that's concerned, uh, male and female, there are bad female listeners and bad male listeners. And that does nothing from a leadership perspective to help you grow a team and to help you build confidence and to have people that are, that have your back. You don't want to be walking around saying, et tu, Brutus. I mean, this person has also stabbed me in the back. Well, why is that? Well, it's because they don't trust you. How do you build trust? Honest conversation. I think that trust happens over time. It's not something that happens right away. And I also think it's how you present situations to people. And a lot of times what I have found is that if people see you bear your soul and be transparent, the more that you're willing to be transparent with people, I think the more people are willing to work with you and to recognize that, oh, okay, this person's not so bad. It's not as bad as I thought they were. They are legitimate in terms of what their approach is and what they're trying to do. So I have found that not bearing my soul, but you know, just letting my hair down, so to speak, to to the place where I get comfortable and you know have some of these conversations. I just don't think that you should put on airs when you're in the workplace because I think that's you know that's not who you really are. When people see who you really are and you're able to interact with folks that way, I do believe that there is a, a higher level of trust. That is very true. I want to slightly change gear and talk about encourage, build, grow your company. You and I met at Podcast Movement, and I think one of the point of common ground that I find with you is that you have seven different passions that don't, don't normally go together. You know, you've mentioned you worked at ABC, and then you work in the design industry. And I think that like me, you've decided, no, I don't need to be doing just one thing. So tell our listener a little bit about what you're doing with Encourage, Build, Grow. And then I also want to talk about your fascinating podcast. Sure. So Encourage, Build, Grow, the focus of it originally was I was basically going to continue to do some of the things that I was doing in the design industry, which was leadership training. And I still do that. I do leadership training, some training when it comes to project management. And then I have focused on routines that win and helping people to 
get really good winning routines under their belt to help them be just better, not just better employees or better workers or to run a better business, but also just to be better people. And I think routines can be really helpful for us. And I think too often as individuals, we are the last thing that we give attention to, right? We focus on what our client needs. We focus on what the employees need that report to us and all that other stuff. But then you are, you as an individual are struggling, right? And it's like saying to somebody, a drowning man can't help me if I don't know how to swim. And I need to be around somebody that is able to have some control in that area. And so I have focused very much in that area of building solid routines and, and encouraging people to to take advantage of that. And I've done a lot of training in that area over the past few years. Uh, the other thing that I have worked on quite extensively is this whole podcast strategy consulting. And that has really allowed me to scratch an itch and a desire that I've had for for many, many a year. And I'm going way back to when I was under 10. You know, a lot of times when people say, if you go back to when you were younger, you probably had an idea of what you really wanted to do or the thing that brought you the most passion and excitement. I always tell the story of a good friend of mine who her mother would say that, you know, she pretended to be a librarian. She would lend books to people and she eventually started a bookstore, a very successful bookstore. And a lot of times we we tend to ignore those signs that we got early on in our lives because we feel like, oh, we've got to compartmentalize that or no, we just have to go out and go out into the work world and do what we need to do in order to make a buck. But I truly believe that you can do what you do and love it at the same time. And so I have tried to find that. And, and for me, that passion is podcasting. I love podcasting. This is, as we're recording this, this is my second of three podcasts that I have to do today. Some days I do more than that. I, try, I typically try to batch my podcast certain days of the week so that you know it allows me to keep my sanity. But I'll be honest with you, Dino, no matter what, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I want to sit down and do a podcast, I'm, I'm willing to do it in a heartbeat. And so now what I have done with Encourage Build Grow is I've encouraged, no pun intended, I've encouraged firms, businesses, especially design firms, because I primarily work with them to tell their story through voice through the vehicle, the platform of podcasting, because it is so powerful. And that I do believe voice is going to have a very, very strong place in our lives in the next three to five to 10 years in terms of the way that, I mean, you look at how Siri is everywhere. Alexas are everywhere. I think the 20, the 2023 models of BMWs are all going to come standard with Alexas built in. So voice is huge. I think voice, the upside for voice is tremendous. And, and I, I didn't feel like, well, this is just a chance for me to jump on the bandwagon. What I felt, what I wanted to do was to create a blueprint that companies and individuals could follow to tell their story via voice, via a podcast and build some incredible evergreen content that will stand the test of time. So that in a few years, as the smart speakers get even smarter, and the technology is there, you'll be able to search for just about anything. You'll be able to search for you, Dino, and, and anything anybody wants on these smart speakers, they'll, they'll be able to get and listen to instantly. And the other beauty about podcasting that I really love is that you can pretty much multitask it and do it while doing most things, shower, walking your dog, pruning your garden, riding a bike, on your commute, you name it. You can't do that with video. You can't do that with reading. And so to me, Putting high quality content out there from a podcasting perspective, I think the upside is tremendous. So I'm working with firms to do that. 
And I have a bunch of clients around the country that uh, have decided that, you know what, we recognize that this is a value. Yeah, we still want to do videos, but we also want to tell our story via podcast. And telling a story on a podcast is much different than when you articulate or tell stories from a video perspective, just because of the fact that you have the visual aspect of it. Yeah. And speaking of high quality storytelling, I was fascinated when we met about your podcast about what you call like, you know, my little corner of Arkansas and the observation. I don't think many people in the country realize, you know, I think you mentioned that the first thing that you told me is like, yeah, you know, people don't realize we have three or four major fortune 50 companies here. And there's so much of the economy that goes through it. So why don't you tell our listeners about your podcast, the stories you're telling it, the angle? Yeah, it's called I Am Northwest Arkansas. And it's the focus on the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in the Ozarks. And so we're in the northwest corner of the state of Arkansas. And I live about 15 minutes from the Oklahoma border, about 25 minutes from the Kansas border, and about 15 or 20 minutes from the Missouri border. So we're kind of up here nestled in the corner. But this is a very special place. And as you said, you know, we've got Fortune 50 or Fortune 500 companies in J.B. Hunt, Tyson, and Walmart. And there's a lot going on here, but it's beyond just that. It's just the people are really interesting here. We've got one of what I would term one of the top five museums in the country, and it's right here in Northwest Arkansas, and that's Crystal Bridges. That's the museum that was developed by Sam Walton's daughter, Alice Walton. And Alice Walton had a desire to bring the arts to Northwest Arkansas like never before, and she did it. The Crystal Bridges Museum opened 11-11-11. This November 11th, it will celebrate 10 years. And it's, it is, um, I mean, I've been to the Louvre, the Prado. I mean, I've been to all the great museums and it's right up there. It really is in terms of what it offers. And it's right here. It's right here in our backyard. And then we just have amazing people. We have amazing entrepreneurs. We have a lot of people that have cut their teeth starting businesses right after leaving the University of Arkansas. We've got a fabulous research uh, university. There's just a great social life that that exists here. So we're telling all those stories on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. And I started it in April of 2019. And, and uh, as of today, I think we released episode 139 of the podcast. So we've done 139 episodes plus a bunch of special episodes. And it has taken on a life of its own. I have sponsors for it. And uh, we've had a lot of success and we just continue to grow it. And uh, now we're working on some event programs that we're going to be rolling out here in the area to take advantage of all the people that are relocating here because Northwest Arkansas is one of the top 100 MSAs in the country from a population standpoint. We're about a 450,000 people. We're expected to double in size population-wise by 2045. It might even happen by 2040, but we, we're probably going to be 900,000 to almost a million people in the next 20, 25 years. At this point of my conversation, I normally ask my guests what three leadership tips, but I think I would be doing my guests a disservice. I know there's a lot of people who listen who may be also thinking about launching a podcast. So somebody who's listening right now is thinking about launching a podcast. What are the first two or three things that they should be thinking about? Okay. Right away, I would tell you that expect that nobody's going to listen to it. 
would you still do a podcast? That's always my question to people right away. Just imagine that nobody's going to listen to it. Would you do it? Because I think I think what happens, Dino, is a lot of people get caught up in the analytics and the numbers. And if they don't get a certain number, then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm totally disappointed. I've had people tell me, you know, I only get 2,000 downloads a month. And I'm like, man, that's like you walking into an auditorium with 2,000 people and talking to them for however long your podcast is. We forget that. We forget that these are actual human beings on the other side of those analytics. And so I think you need to focus on on bringing good content and then let the chips fall where they may. You know, think about, you know, take some time, do some research, look at who's filling what niche. Yeah. Do we have a lot of marketing podcasts? Absolutely. Is there room for one more? Probably. I mean, there are a bunch of leadership podcasts. Is there room for one more? Absolutely. Because in the instance of me being on your show, Dino, I mean, you bring a sensibility and a perspective that somebody else just doesn't bring. And so I think it's important for people to be thinking like that. You know, we we are, I mean, the, the odds of us getting here in the first place in terms of being born, it's like 435 billion to one. I mean, the odds are just astronomical so that you're here. There's a reason why you're here. You're special. Figure out what the story is that you want to tell and then tell it. And then I will say this, take the time to research and figure out how to put together some decent sound quality when you're doing your podcast, because that's one thing about that. That's different between sound and video between podcast and video is that quality of your sound. I'm an audiophile. I like good sound. I like to listen to a good podcast in my car. But if your your levels are all over the place and you just quite haven't gotten it right or you're using the wrong, you're using a condenser microphone, you should be using a dynamic microphone or you're you're recording your podcast in a room with a bunch of glass and hard floors and all this other stuff, you have to learn a little bit about sound and how it travels and the best way to record it. But I'm telling you, trust me when I say this, and this is to everybody listening, you can start a podcast. You can do it. There's a lot of great information out there. It's not as hard as it sounds, but I would tell you that you you have to have a design and a desire for what you want to share. Know that up front. Don't just wing it because people will tune you out in a heartbeat. Great. I think this is all very valuable information. I think really, really important. I want to reiterate the idea that you put forward in the beginning. Don't look at it from the outcomes that you are expecting outside, but look at it from the inside. Right. Yeah. Couple quick more questions, personal questions. Sure. You mentioned that you cannot separate personal from work. What is one outside interest that is really important to you and how does that impact your work? I do a lot of volunteer work with a number of boards in my area. So that's important to me. I just believe that you've got to give back. And I was always, my mom, my grandparents, they were very giving of themselves, of their time, of their talent. And so I have always felt it important to be able to do that. So I serve on several boards locally in my community that are ways that I give back. And I have done that consistently both in New England when I lived up in Boston, as well as here in uh, Northwest Arkansas. And I think it's, my thing is to encourage people to get involved. I also joined Rotary a couple of years ago, and that was a game changer. I mean, it is a bunch of older white folks that I hang out with, and that's cool. Uh, as an African-American, I'm just like, it's good. I mean, I've, al- I've always been around and I'm, I'm saying that to be funny. I just, you know, a lot of times people talk about Rotary. It's like, oh, well, it's just a bunch of old white folks. And yeah, sometimes it is. But I got to tell you, I've learned a lot 
hanging around a lot of different people. And I think that, you know, if you take that mindset that, oh, well, there's just a fill in the blank. So that's why I'm not going to get involved. Then none of these areas are ever going to grow and Rotary is never going to become more diverse. No organization is if you keep sitting from the sideline talking about, well, there's not enough people that look like me within this group. So I don't want to be involved with it. So my encouragement is just to get uncomfortable and get out there and connect with some folks that you wouldn't normally connect with because they have a story to tell just like you do. And I'm always respectful of everybody's story. I may not agree with everything that comes out of their mouth, but that doesn't mean that I can't hear their story because it also helps me inform things. It helps me to have a different opinion, have a more flexible opinion about things. And I think, Dino, that's the problem that we have in this country is that we don't really get to talk with each other eye to eye and understand where we come from because we're more alike than we think. That I think is a real challenge. So I would encourage people to get involved like I did and find some local organizations where you can give back. The Junior League is another place. The Literacy Council, every county has a Literacy Council. Whatever floats your boat, whatever you're interested in, whether it's working with kids, whether it's working with the elderly, there's always going to be opportunities out there. And there's always a need for people to serve in those capacities. And, you know, I mean, nobody, you know, I just think it's nobody's going to be sitting around on their deathbed saying, man, I wish I went on more sailboats or things of that nature. That's all great. And that's a byproduct of it. But, you know, I want to be able to say, I wish I'd touch more lives. I wish I'd had the opportunity to even touch more lives than what I did. And so I think we all have that capacity and ability. We just have to kind of monitor our time and create a priority in that area and be more intentional about following that. Great. One more question. This is my favorite question of the podcast. Is there a business expression, a cliche that drives you crazy? Synergy. <laughs> if I hear the word synergy one more time, I swear I'm going to throw my computer. I mean, you, you, you see it in business speak. You see it in everybody's website. You know, you see it uh, from the boardroom. The word synergy. I mean, there's so many catchphrases and cliche words that we hear over and over again that really ultimately, you know, at one point in time, I think the word synergy meant something. Now it doesn't. It's like synergy. Well, what is that? You know, and it's like, I don't think that people uh, look at it the same way that they should. Yes. Is it an important word? Absolutely. It's wildly overused, though. I think it's wildly overused both in business correspondence as well as just on websites and, and other things of that nature. So it's, it's, it's a word that I just, I abhor. And even intentional is a word that I'm starting to overuse now. And I'm like, maybe I need to ratchet back that word and, and find something else. You know, Roger's thesaurus is actually very helpful and it can, it can show you a lot of synonyms out there that could be, um, you know, maybe more palatable to the ear. Well, you know, I'm excited you brought back synergy because it's now the top leading word. It was actually Raj Kapoor, uh, who was the first guest. He said like synergy. It was a very, <laughs> very good choice. Final question. I call it food for the body or food for the soul. And you can choose. Is there a dish or a drink that you really love? Or you can go to the soul side and is there a book, a movie, a song, a piece of art that really inspires you or like means a lot to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for me, you know, the soul is, uh, is always in it. It's an internal thing from my sp- perspective as a Christian. Obviously I, I love the Bible. I grew up in a Christian household where the Bible was very, very paramount 
and everything that I did. And so for me, it's the one book that I can always go back to that no matter what I'm dealing with in life, it has helped me to stay grounded. And I think it's important for people to have that grounding in something, whether it's the Bible, it could be the Talmud, it could be so many other books that are out there. But for me, the Bible has always been that grounding force because I do believe that the soul is eternal. And even after I leave here and die, and I don't take any of the stuff that I've created with me, that I, I will exist in some way, shape, or form, and I'll have an understanding of that. And you know what that I, I can't understand it now, but after I die, I'm sure I'll figure that out, and uh, you know we'll go from there. But to me, the Bible would be easily the book that would be the big thing. Thank you so much, Randy. Absolutely. Great conversation. I look forward to our next conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I look forward to it too. I know we're going to do another episode at some point in time and, and uh, you're doing really great things. I've looked at the group of people that you've had on here. So I, I feel honored uh, to be able to share the stage, if you will, even if it's a virtual one with so many outstanding people. I, I hope I fit the bill and I hope you some do. of your listeners walk away and say, wow, that was actually really great, Dino. Thanks for bringing them on. Um, but, but, you know, like I said, we all have a story to tell and my encouragement to everyone is to go out and tell it. Don't be afraid, uh, be who you are, because, uh, if people can't accept you for who you are, then it doesn't matter anyway. That's very true. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please tell a friend who may enjoy it too. Actually tell a bunch of friends and post about it in social media. Don't forget to subscribe to your podcast in your platform where you're listening to so you get new episodes as they get released. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Good Pods, leave a rating or a review because at the end of the month, at the end of October, I will pick my favorite review and send out a free copy of Depthspar's book, Work, Mate, Marry, Love. Now, at the end of this episode, also make sure that you listen to part two where Randy interviews me. If you like music, stick around because at the end of the credits, I'm going to share one more song by Susan Catania, one of Boston's best Americana singer-songwriters. If you want to connect with Randy, you can find him on LinkedIn at linkedin.com backslash n backslash Randy Wilburn, spelled R-A-N-D-Y-W-I-L-B-U-R-N. You can also find him on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Randy Wilburn. And finally, do not forget to check out his podcast, I Am Northwest Arkansas, which you can find on all major platforms where you listen to podcasts. You can find me online at al4ep.com with the number four, so al4ep.com. And you can also email me at dino at al4ep.com. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at al4edp. And on Facebook, just search for Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. This episode was produced by me, Dino Cattaneo, with additional edits by the fabulous people at Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. Now, as promised, here's one more song by Susan Cattaneo. It's an old song about the spaces and the skies in the heartland. And it's called Little Big Sky.
even have time for my thoughts These street lights don't sparkle like the southern stars do Skyscrapers feel like they're jailing the moon Ask myself, what am I doing here? Cause life makes more sense when the black top disappears I need a little big sky where I can watch the whole sunrise I wanna feel the warm wind blowing my troubles away I need a little simple, could use a little easy And miles and miles of nothing but miles I need a little big sky I need a little big sky Put the top down and drive Feel my soul exhale when I cross that county line Gonna hug my mama, drink some sweet iced tea Feel the world slow down from her front porch sweat That red dirt road always leads me here And life makes more sense when the black top disappears I need a little big sky Where I can watch a whole sunrise I wanna feel the warm wind blow When my troubles away I need a little simple Could use a little easy And miles and miles of Nothing but miles Daddy was born I wanna go home